Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4ZZZ Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. Hello, you are now listening to Zed Games, Australia's favourite and longest running gaming radio program. Coming at you live on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. You might be listening on Zed Digital or around the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. I am Razor and joining me is Lee. Hello. And Evie. What's up? And we also have special guest Scott Beebe. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Not a problem. Uh, Scott, you'll be telling us about the local happenings in the new Brisbane Byte section, which we'll talk about later. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, as well as that, coming up on the show, I'll be reviewing Detroit Being Human, an interactive video game. <laughs> Good. Uh, Is that what they yes. call? <laughs> well, I was reaching for another word. It's more like a, like an interactive story experience. Also that is, known as a video game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get into more detail later uh, when I found my proper adjectives uh but first the week in gaming news headlines lee what do we have uh an australian senate inquiry into the practice of in-game loot boxes is underway with a report due in september the inquiry is tasked with determining whether the practice of offering randomly selected digital items is gambling and the adequacy of current consumer protection legislation the matter is open for public submissions to be sent to the committee secretary at parliament house loot boxes have been a controversial topic in the world of gaming lately with ea games in particular having been single out for their intrusive chance-based progression system in Star Wars Battlefront 2. Mm. What do you think about that? I think, it is, I think it definitely does have gambling elements to it. I mean, loot boxes are extremely addictive. Yeah. Um, and I, I, as one that is a victim to the loot box cycle, I've spent probably... Oh, Go on, know, give it a number. Uh, <laughs> maybe is maybe it, three, four digits bearing... Four what? digits? Four. Yeah, oh, probably. Wow. Four digits. Over the course of maybe... Two weeks. <laughs> no, I don't earn enough of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say like four years. Right, okay. Yeah, four or five years Still. that I've been really okay. gaming. Yeah, no, I've spent mm. a lot of money. What is What game is like? Is this spread no, across? Not exclusively one game. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. But most recent times, probably Overwatch. Right, um, okay. I'm just so obsessed with the characters, and then you get these loot boxes, and the, and the sounds they make too, which every time I open loot boxes, <laughs> the sounds are actually very, very similar to gambling machines. Evie, do I need to take your credit card away? No, 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 no. <laughs> I actually only put spare money in. It's sort of like, I don't actively go, oh, I'm going to throw a hundred bucks at this. So yeah. it's not ruining your life? No, 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 no. It's just like, oh, I've got a bit that I can throw into like my Battle.net account, so I'm going to put like 30 bucks in there, and then... Just think if you had, like, you know, $1,000, think how nice a hat you could buy for yourself. <laughs> huh? I could buy some really fancy Crocs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the creators of PUBG have dropped their lawsuit against Fortnite developer Epic Games. PUBG Corp officially withdrew the lawsuit, which alleged that Fortnite had replicated the fundamental gameplay experience of PUBG. PUBG Corp is yet to issue a statement outlining the reasons for their withdrawal. That was mm. a weird lawsuit to begin with. Yes. Although I think it did have some merit. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a big sort of uh, thing that they they outlined was that the frying pan right. uh, was, you know, 
a trademark or something. I haven't played either of these games, so I'm not. I don't really know what's going on with that. Well, there okay. Boxes, well, so it, watch it. <laughs> oh gosh, no, no, no. <laughs> a, a, a valuable inclusion there in this news article, Evie. Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it, it was an odd one because um, a lot of gameplay elements you can't just uh, trademark. So if you uh, infringe on that design, there's not really anything you can do. But in this case, it was a weird one because uh, PUBG uses the Unreal Engine. Uh, Unreal are also the makers of Fortnite, so there was some feeling that uh, they were able to potentially have grabbed some of their assets or code or something and and implemented that into Fortnite, which I don't think is really how it went down, but uh, the the optics there weren't great. Uh, I was kind of expecting that this would be settled out of court, um, but this is like literally just dropped and everyone's walking away happily. Is that the case? I'm not sure who's happy and who's not. I assume <laughs> Epic Games is probably happy because they, you know, don't have to go to court and defend themselves over this. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm curious as to what led them to do it. If there was a specific piece of advice they got from their lawyers, or, or whether they were garnering too much ill will from the public, although that hasn't really, you know, stopped these corporations from suing each other in the past. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just wondering why. Or if, if there was some sort of agreement behind the scenes out I, of court. Yeah, I guess like when it started, PUBG was still the bigger game, and now Fortnite is like ten times the size of PUBG. So maybe like when they initiated this fight, they felt like they had a chance. But now, like in that time, Epic and Unreal have become yeah. even more of a gargantuan beast. And it's only been the last. <laughs> six to eight months that um that fortnite has sort of superseded PUBG as the go-to battle royale game yeah um definitely at the end of last year they were on equal footing or or around you know in a in a sort of area where they could compete against each other but now it's just uh, fortnite has just taken all of the players all the money (laughs) i found a really interesting lawsuit too because tencent have a stake in both companies Oh, yeah. So Tencent was suing themselves <laughs> and then withdrew the lawsuit from themselves. Yeah. So thank you, Tencent. Yeah. Well, I think they own 10%, um, funnily enough, <laughs> of, of both companies. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm sure they don't have really an interest in suing themselves. But... It could make for some interesting uh, boardroom calls, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We Happy Few, a game originally banned in Australia for its depiction of mind-altering drugs, will be released here after all. The classification code does not permit games that incentivize drug use. The game will be released without modification, with an R18 plus rating and an advertisement for fantasy violence and interactive drug use. The game will officially launch in August. Uh, this is this is really cool. Um, firstly it shows that the classification board is kind of open to wiggle room there. Um, yeah, they did open public submissions on this, uh, like, last month. And so it seems like there has been a back and forth between, you know, the gaming people and the classification board people, and they've just let this game go through uh, unchanged, which is really kind of remarkable. In the past, we've seen this happen, and games have had to be modified to sort of submit to the the classification board. Yeah, I think this code. is the first time that I've seen it that I can recall it like uh going through again a second time without any 
any change, particularly after you know aiming for uh, an R rating. So uh, it's remarkable. It's amazing that they've actually reached a stage where they're willing to do that, though, I think more than anything. It makes you wonder what changed, though. Why approve it now and not before? Is it just public outcry? Does it have that much power? Yeah, it's hard to say. It feels like um, the initial call didn't seem like it was really based on the context in which it was being presented. Uh, And I guess the submissions process uh, allowed them to reconsider that and realize that, oh, given the, the the actual context in which you interact with the you know the 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 drugs in game, it's not exactly like it's an endorsement or anything. Right? Yeah, mm. yeah, because it's not black or white. Whereas uh, the classification code seems to be they just they just have a clause where they say uh, no games can be released that incentivize drug use so like if you're a soldier in a game for example and you pick up like a stimulant and you stick it in your leg and you know take the drug and then you all of a sudden you're better like that's not permitted yeah um under this the current legislation certainly not if it's called morphine yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's i think it's uh the fact that it was yeah there were real life drugs being depicted that was problematic in some of the games like fallout 4 Um, but here it seems like, yeah, like Lee said, the context has been taken on board. Like in, within the game, um, you do you can take a mind-altering substance and that changes your gameplay experience. And it's supposed to be like a commentary on uh, like mind control for the government or something like that. So it's not just like drugs are good. It's it's there's a there's a kind of a more subtle, more nuanced um, point that the game makers are making, and it's. That drugs are bad. <laughs> drugs are bad. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, that's pretty much it. I think it's fair to say though that uh, you know if you're going to have like extremely violent graphic games, but you're not going to, and you, you know even a uh, sexual content in video games like Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that, but then you're not going to have. Oh, we we'll draw the line at drugs. You know, if you're going to have hacking people up and so on, but you're not going to have that. I don't know. I just. If you're going to have a few bad things, you can't... Do you know what I mean? You can't regulate that. Yeah. yeah. How do you justify going, well, you've got kids buying games or you've got, you know, people 17 buying quite violent video games, uh, but you're not letting them... They're all the same thing. Mm. They all fall under a category of they're going to create some kind of response from people, parents especially, or so on, you know? Yeah, but the state can use violence, uh, whereas it, it can't... Uh, there's There's no value in encouraging people to... Uh, experience drugs, whereas you know, but that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> that's a different show. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to kick off a brand new monthly segment called Brisbane Bite, and to present the segment, we've called in the editor, creator, writer, and all around yep. uh, maker CEO. of the Brisbane Bite magazine, uh, which you may have seen. Uh, around the place yep. at various venues around Brisbane. Uh, Scott, you've been uh, doing this for a number of months now. It's a little magazine that sort of outlines various happenings, news, and um, updates about things that are going on in the local game scene and industry. Yeah, there's uh, way more happening in Brisbane than you than you ever think about. So it's uh, worth coming on here and letting everyone know. So, yeah, what 
is going to happen is uh, at the start of every month, Scott's going to come on and uh, tell us about the local stuff, the, yeah, the real the local ground. stuff. Yeah, you know, getting right in there with the local scene. Mixing it up. So what have we got happening this week, Scott? Uh, the Brisbane Retro Gaming Markets are happening again, this time at 1UP Arcade in Morningside. Uh, if you've been to one of these before, then you know about the literal gajillion games, consoles, collectibles they have for sale. I think there's something like 10,000 items in total, which is a hell of a lot. Uh, so if you're looking for GoldenEye on 64 or Streets of Rage, of Rage on Mega Drive, uh, you can head over there and actually pay an affordable price. Um, so mark Sunday, August 19th, between 9 and 2 down on your calendar at 1UP Arcade in Morningside. Have you, cool. been, have you guys been to one of these before? Have not. No? Yeah, I don't actually have a working retro console, unfortunately. Maybe I could get one there. Yes, they they have stacks of them. They have pictures yeah. and all sorts of stuff. You know, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> you can find working Super Nintendos all over the place. Yeah. But finding, like, a working Xbox OG is, like, totally impossible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of 1UP Arcade, they have a promotion they run where they pick a random arcade cabinet and they set a high score, offer $40 to anyone who can beat it, and right now it is uh, Shadow Warriors, also known as Ninja Gaiden, and it's jackpotted for 20 weeks in a row, and now if you beat the high score, which is not the highest score in the world by any means, you can win $800. $800? $800. For being good at Ninja Gaiden. So what are you doing after the show, Ray? Uh, being bad at Ninja Gaiden <laughs> yeah I will continue to be the worst at Ninja Gaiden yeah. uh, a couple of bits of sad news uh, friends of the show I believe you've had Alex and Nathan from Fluffy Knuckleduster on here before yes have you spoken about this uh, no we didn't kill them no no, no. no. okay they're still, they're still they're alive still, they're still alive they've just uh, split up unfortunately <laughs> Uh, they've made a lot of uh, mobile games such as Bouncing Brendan and Drunken Heroes. Uh, Alex will continue to develop games here in Brisbane, and Nathan has uh, just left him and just flown over to Canada, decided to mix it up with the big boys. So mm. we, we wish him luck. Yeah, good luck. Um, we had those guys on the show like a few times, maybe three times, and they were always so keen, mm. so enthusiastic. Yep. And they, they were hard workers. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. they'll take that enthusiasm to whatever they're doing next. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, the other sad news comes out of uh, Pinkadia in Wollongabba. Uh, just seven months after they opened, the Pinball Arcade has unfortunately had to close its doors due to a kitchen fire. Uh, thankfully, nobody was hurt, but all the staff had to be let go while everything is being organized through the insurance companies. The owners are hoping to reopen at some point in the future, although it is unknown when that might be. That is devastating news. That was a really cool place. I hope it comes back in fine form. Yeah. And uh, there are three games that I wanted to bring to your attention that are coming out uh, either right now or this month. Uh, the first is Eyes of Ara from 100 Stones Interactive. This is the mobile port of the PC game that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, won a bunch of awards. Uh, it's an uh, interactive puzzle game. Uh, if you've ever played Agent A on mobile, I liken it to that a lot. Um, uh, it's just got really impressive graphics, though. So worth checking out. Uh, comes out July 13th on iOS for $8. Uh, next, we have Super Starfish coming out from Protostar. Uh, this is an incredibly beautiful game. Simple uh, mechanics. 
Uh, this is the studio that did Sling Kong, if you've ever played that. It's been downloaded something like 10 million times. Righto. So these guys have some experience. Okay. Super addictive games. Uh, and I describe this game as utterly gorgeous liquid neon, which I don't think there's any better way to describe it. No, it's great. <laughs> and that one comes out at the end of the month, July 27th, on iOS and Android, completely free of charge, uh, with some easy-to-avoid microtransactions. And lastly, we have Super Drop Land, coming out of SQ Hub, uh, the Screen Queensland co-working space over in Tenerife. Uh, one of the ex-Halfbrick developers is been, has been working on this one, Solo, and it's just a cute and casual puzzle game. Uh, has ghosts and all sorts of stuff. It looks so cute. Worth checking out. <laughs> it's available on iOS right now for free. Very cool. Okay. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. Um, that's great. And uh, Brisbane Byte is available in magazine form around the place at uh, various game-related venues, but there's also an online version. Yep. Uh, if you, uh, you can pick it up at venues around the city, such as Netherworld or various universities, pinball places, arcade places, whatever. Uh, but if you want to know more about the local gaming news coming out of Brisbane, you can subscribe to Brisbane Byte magazine for free at bit.ly slash sub. That's bit.ly slash sub. Byte with a Y. Excellent. Thank you very much. Again, Scott Beebe from Brisbane Byte. You're listening to Zed Games. Now we're going to listen to... Uh Ray, you're going to do a review for us. Yes, I've been playing Detroit Become Human, which is a PS4 exclusive. Basically, it's an interactive story about robots. Okay, yeah. cool. Interactive story. Like yes, it. I've settled on that description. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's very cinematic. And um, I have to say that the, the graphics, the visuals in this game are real tight. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean... You're making it sound real gangster when you say that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's (laughs) diggity dope, you know. Um, No, it is like, it's less of a game and more of a story that you're kind of following and and you sort of, uh, you're you're playing along by by making the characters do things. So you're directing the narrative. Uh, Yeah, and and you're also making key decisions instead of the characters. Right. Uh, so it's more akin to a game like Life is Strange or any of the multiple Telltale adventures, yep. uh, which are story-driven rather than gameplay-driven. Yep. This one is slightly more ambitious, both in its kind of narrative scope and also in uh, the amount of resources and assets and just all the sheer work that's that's been put into it. Um so it's the brainchild of David Cage, who is at Quantic Dream. They've put out a lot of games in this sort of subgenre, uh, most notably on the PlayStation games like Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. Before that, they also did games on the PS2, uh, like Fahrenheit and what Nomicron or something with David Bowie in it. Omicron, the Nomad Soul, was the one that had David Bowie in it. Uh, and was really his last good game, if you were to ask me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, do go on. But yes, it's he, he very much fancies himself uh, an innovator and an artist. And look, there is uh, he tackles some heavy themes, and uh, these games won't be for everyone. Um, he does have a little bit of a pretentious voice. It could be argued David Cage, that is. Um, But anyway, let's get started with Detroit. It's set in 2038. It's in Detroit, and it's 
kind of a utopian society. Uh, everything's all nice and clean. Um, but the most notable thing is that we've got these androids that are assisting us. And they've been created by the CyberLife Foundation. They're the reasonable price of around five to nine thousand US dollars. That's yeah, not bad. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. Especially well. in twenty thirty eight money, right? Yeah. You know, uh, inflation's <laughs> what two percent a year. That's, um, a that's, that's a that's a damn bargain for an AI. <laughs> uh, but with this comes the greater question of um, whether these highly intelligent androids should be given status within the community, because for all intents and purposes, in this world, they are the the um the equivalent of human beings like intellectually speaking and so uh the game tackles questions like you know can an ai be as smart as a human and if so should they be granted the same rights as a human being so it's not really new territory i mean we've had films many many films in the sci-fi genre tackle these sorts of questions before and to be honest, it doesn't really break any new ground in that department. Um, but it is still a compelling narrative in itself. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that uh, for a game that doesn't actually want to address issues of, say, uh, race, it's using a lot of the uh, the optics of something like the Black Lives Matter movement in order to tell a story about, like, robot slaves being granted emancipation yeah um i did have problems with that yeah. like there is literally a scene in the film where it's uh, sorry the scene in the game where there's a big um gathering of robots and they're protesting and it's it's basically robot lives matter like yeah. that's sort of what they're chanting and it, it is a little bit insensitive to compare that to um issues in the real world i think yeah especially as it doesn't really uh it, it it kind of uses it as dressing in a yep. way you know what i mean yep. um it is a confrontational work that does deal with topics like like oppression and discrimination and uh you know violence against second class citizens and things like that but it's drawn for dramatic effect without much hard-hitting commentary yeah i mean it's talking about like robots in this case in this like really obvious but also shallow analogy mm. it, it feels i want to say like it's a little bit cowardly almost and uh and as you say like hugely insensitive uh in that it, it just refuses to actually acknowledge the things that it is like directly drawing on mm, there is one point in the narrative where um a marginalized character does liken the android's plight with their plight which i kind of cringed at a little bit <laughs> that's <laughs> even worse <laughs> it, was, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't done well um but uh you know what all that speaking you have you sort of have to put it aside um, and you do like, <laughs> like, and I guess your enjoyment of this game will depend on on whether you can sort of get past that, yeah. And also your um, whether you can get past the level of pretension that the storytelling uh, entails, yeah. Um, but you know what? If you can, it is actually quite a compelling and engaging experience. And like, yeah, it does sound like 
like these guys are being insensitive. Um, but when you're in the story there, um, you know, you really do feel for the characters. Uh, have you had much experience with the way that the game displays the multiple narratives at the end of each scenario? Yeah. Have you um, have you gone back to try to, to replay scenes? I have, yes. Can, um, you, can you give us an example of, like, maybe one of the... I don't know, like the detective-y scenes or something like that, and how, how that can branch off something early. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, early on in the game, the first scene, you've got Connor, yep. who is an like an investigative robot that's helping the cops. Yep. Uh, he's snooping around the apartment. There's a hostage situation on the balcony, but he has a few moments to gather some clues before he goes out there to determine his approach with this android, um, android sort of angry guy that's got this child... Uh, at gunpoint. Right. And um, he's snooping around and he's investigating these crime scenes, which are done in quite a novel way. You can kind of recreate uh, the scene and you can sort of uh, look around in 3D, sort of rotoscoped, and you can rewind time back and forward. Oh, that's um, kind of cool. And then to, to look at where all the the key items are landing, like the guns or the, the weapons involved. Right. And that, that's pretty cool. So uh, he finds a gun in his investigations and you can choose to pick it up or not and right. now androids aren't allowed to have guns it's strictly prohibited but you can you can bring one out if you think you'll need it in this in this negotiation and yeah whether you do that does whether you do that or not um, will be very important because obviously in that situation you can pull your gun out and you'll have that extra option of of threatening the guy uh, right. but you can also choose to go out without the without the gun what was the way that you went first time around I picked up the gun. Yeah. Uh but I didn't use it. And um I think I resolved the situation to the best of my ability, although Kid's uh, dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you helped him th- you helped the AI throw the kid off the balcony. That's how you resolved that scene in the end. No, no, no. Uh I, I did save the child, but at the cost of my own android life. Ooh. Yeah. Completely dead. Yes. Wow. Uh, but it's not, not so bad because the company just sends a new one exactly the same. <laughs> so you are Connor too. Yeah. <laughs> so you, did you replay that? I did, and yes. Did you try to um, play in a way where you could save your yourself? Basically, uh, all scenarios, all outcomes are possible. Right. Are, like you, you've got the really bad outcome. You've got uh, the good outcome where you, where you live. Right. Um, but the situation's resolved in a different way. And, um, yeah, in that particular scenario, I don't think it has too much of an effect on the plot. But as you get deeper into the story, um, there are decisions that you'll make. Some of them which will only, you know, take a split second to make um, that will radically change the narratives. And at the end of every chapter, uh, it shows you a tree, a branching, um, like, graph of your choices and shows you... Uh, all of the alternative paths, although they are blacked out. That's pretty cool. Um, that is could, really cool. Yeah. yeah. So previously in Beyond Two Souls, they had a very similar branching system, but it was very much invisible. Like, whatever happens, the game goes forward. Like, you could lose every single cutscene, um, wow. every single quick time event, and, you know, you get hit by a car. But the story just keeps on going. Like, there's no um, game over state at all. So you can... You can have the worst performance in the world, make all the bad decisions, um, and even 
get your main characters killed, but the story will just keep marching on. Sounds like a weird metaphor for life. Yeah, but in Beyond Two Souls, (laughs) it was all behind the scenes. Like, you didn't really know... um, what what impact your your story decisions were having um you'd kind of just go through the story and and you make decisions but you didn't really know and um there was no like pop-up things like in the telltale games that, that tell you whenever you've made a, a significant choice for example i remember we actually discussed this on air talking yeah. about the fact that uh, as a result of this there were all these reviews saying how uh, surprisingly linear the game was as a result and it was only weeks later when people were actually comparing what they thought their linear game experience was and discovering just how much it changed that uh, we became aware of the the branching narrative that was on display there and it's cool like this is obviously a, you know directly addressing this uh, and like I think it's really interesting because you kind of want to make that invisible right like mm. really you don't want to be like, hey, these are all the other things you could have done, but you want people to feel like that's there. Uh, and there's a part of me that thinks this might be taking it too far, but at the same time, it's actually really, really cool that you can get a sense of what other options you had. Yeah, and it all, it all is also cool, like it tells you which parts of the story had those those different branches. For example, I went through a late-game sequence um, where I... Basically, I was doomed. Um, I was in a sort of had my back against the wall. They'd gotten me, and I was pretty much, you know, I was toast, and I pretty much just resigned myself to the fact that I was going to die. And I did die, and it was sad and it was terrible. But then, on upon completion of the chapter, I realized that there were options along the way. There, there was a out. door the whole yeah. way. <laughs> there was an open door. Yes, there was a gun on the ground. Should yeah. have kept that gun from the kid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so it is. It is out, all out there in the open, uh, all the decision making things, and that's. I guess that's a good thing. Um, it sort of keeps you intrigued and invested because otherwise you could just go through the story and you wouldn't even know which one of your decisions, um, which ones of your decisions were, were like, I guess, significant or not. How does it compare to the other David Cage games? Like, does it is it just another one of those games, or does it advance? that story mechanic in some way? Uh, mechanically, I think it's the strongest, although it isn't particularly dif- uh, different. Uh, the previous two PlayStation games, Heavy Rain and uh, Beyond Two Souls, they had kind of clunky quick-time event-style sequences where you just, you'd be doing an action on screen and then you'd be you'd get a prompt like to push a random button that correlates with the action. They've kind of streamlined it into a sequence of kind of recognizable inputs now so that the game has its own own language so that it's mainly um like a semi-rotation of the stick or if you're doing something with both hands you're pushing both the triggers and things like that so there is a kind of recognizable rhythm to uh all of the prompts this time around which weren't present in the previous games okay. uh, which is good however it does get a little bit um uh, finicky it gets a little bit frustrating and, and a little bit annoying with all of these um different mundane activities that you're forced to do for example uh there's one scene when you're where you're brought home as an android and your your kara who is like uh the the servant kind of robot that does cleaning and and looks after kids and things like that and you've just been brought home and you've got to clean like the house 
that's your first job. And uh, you actually have to go around and, you know, clean the house. So you go over to the dishes and you you push square to, to clean the dishes. You've and... got dishes of your own that need <laughs> cleaning. I've been to your house. I know. Uh, unfortunately, I can't just push square to clean those. Um, so they have gone unclean. <laughs> And then you've got to do the uh, the vacuuming. You've got to go upstairs and clean the, the kids' room and things like that. And that's a 15-minute sequence. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't end. <laughs> You're just doing chores. <laughs> and there is, like, a part at the end of the scene where you have to make a, a very um, dramatic decision. And I want to go back and, like, you know, see what happens if I choose differently. But I don't want to clean the house again. Is it? <laughs> do I separate the whites or not? <laughs> no, it's... it's <laughs> Toilet paper overhang or underhang? <laughs> oh, boy. That's the important question. Yeah. Yeah, so I am, like, super intrigued to go back and um, and see what I could have done differently. But at the same time, whenever I do, I just get this sort of uh, this feeling like I've done it all before. Like, just doing all of these r- repetitive motions just doesn't appeal to me. So what I did is I resorted to, to YouTube right. uh, to get all the goodies. And... Um, I don't know if, like, if that's how I would recommend you do it because it does sort of shorten the lifespan of the game. Um, but for the purposes of like reviewing the game, I wanted to sort of get those experiences. But I think if you put the game down, wait six months and come back to it and then have a, you know, a different experience, I think that's the way to do it is, uh, is play the game organically, come back. Have like a longevity. Have a it. long break yeah. from the story, and then um, once you know all the finer details of the game have sort of washed away, go back and, and make some different choices and see what happens. Um, and yeah, look, I was I was on board with most of the characters' story arcs for for, for most of the game. Like I was rooting for the main characters, especially uh, Connor and the police guy. Um, they've got kind of like this buddy cop going on. Uh, where it's like this old grizzled police veteran who's basically like his life is hell and he doesn't he's checked out of life um is joined by connor who's like the android from cyber life to um who's assisting with the investigation into all these deviant androids that are kind of going around and doing their own thing and it's, it's all dangerous but he's like so endearing in his dedication to to the investigation um, well, he does get a little bit scarily, you know, scarily involved, scarily dedicated to the investigation at times, but it makes for a very cool, like, like good cop, bad cop thing. And that was the story that really. So they got me. a really good dynamic. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. It's it's actually really funny uh, watching them play off play off each other at crime scenes, and and this guy just hates androids. Like, <laughs> he, he just doesn't have the time of day for androids. But he's got this perky. Um, perky like really enthusiastic android in his grill trying to like get him off his chair and do do all this stuff and um for me that was by far the best best story of the three so between the heavy themes and the uh, chores around the house <laughs> is this game fun yes yeah okay. it's it's not well actually no um <laughs> that's not a, that's not a good word for it, it i will say be? it's engaging it's compelling and you will you will feel for the characters if you play through you you're with them every step of the way i mean you're there cleaning the house for christ's sake you know um after you do that you know you're sort of 
you've got to be on board with these characters' journeys, right? You know, you cleaned up that house. Sounds like you're very emotionally invested. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, fun. It's not is not the the key adjective I'd use to describe it. Um, but it is very dramatic, and um, depending on your decisions, like there's no like real limit to uh, how bad things can get. That's what I'll say. Oh, okay. Like, cool. like there are good endings. Positive. There are good. There are good <laughs> things that happen. But boy, this game can just go off the rails in such a bad way. And um, oh, when that, it when it does, it's a bit of a gut punch. Yeah, I was about to say that sounds a little like yeah, gut wrenching. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> want to spoil too much. Um, but basically, on my first playthrough, like my organic playthrough, where I just like made all of the my gut instinct decisions. It just ended terribly. It like I left the world a much much worse place, and basically everyone, almost everyone was dead, and the one person that was alive was was heavily compromised. Oh no! Oh boy! Um, to put it mildly, so you've learned something about your own instincts, yeah. right? <laughs> so kind of after I finished the the game for the first time, I just sat there. I couldn't really do anything but process the experience, and I was just, I was bummed out. You know, really bummed out. Because after this 12, 14-hour journey, I just had this really bleak, depressing ending. Uh, and I thought, oh, I don't really want to play again, but I can't leave it at that. I've got to go back and explore what could have happened. Hopefully but that in happier. itself can be a sign of a really good game. I think so. Yeah. Look, um, I, it made me think a little bit. It is basically a game about oppression and discrimination. And even though it is sort of... Uh, told in a bit of a ham-fisted way, some of the themes really did resonate with me. Cool. Mm. Uh, we've been talking about Detroit being human, which is a PS4 exclusive. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Zed Games. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.